Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Right, we've been talking about civil discourse this week and civil discord, and it's, it's unquestionable that in our society today, especially in American society, that civil discourse is breaking down. We see this in politics we see this in our president. We see this in liberals. We see this in the church. And so we've been talking about how we as Christians should be informed by the Scripture in our speech. On on Monday of this week, we talked about how Genesis 3.15 has broken down uh, speech from the very beginning. This is an issue of sin before it's an issue of anything else. And so today we're talking about um, the kind of the positive side about it what our speech says about the gospel or, or what our speech should say about the gospel. And that might be a foreign uh, concept to some of you, so let me introduce it by way of analogy. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul encourages the church to give generously because it reflects something about what Jesus Christ did in the gospel. He says this in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Paul here grounds giving in the gospel. In other words, how you give says something about Christ. So brothers, let's then apply that to our speech. Does the scripture say anything about how our speech with others says something about the gospel? Well, we kind of alluded to this verse the other day, but in Colossians 4, if you begin in verse 2, I I think it helps lead into what comes in verse 6. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So he's saying we want to be able to talk about Jesus Christ on account of which I'm in, in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he's talking about this whole realm of speech, and he says, I want to declare the gospel, and I want to be clear about it. And then he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And so I think this goes back to what we were talking about before. There's a time to engage and a time to not engage. You need wisdom. And then he says, making the best use of the time. Then he says, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so I wish we could sit here and give you some neat little formula. Um, but it's not a neat formula. It's wisdom. It's, it's trying to be sensitive to the moments and the opportunities that God places in our way. We, we have to be mindful of who we're engaging with and where they're at, where we're at. There are times when we're not in the right place to have a conversation. And so we have to be mindful of our own hearts. We have to be mindful of what the other person is is going through, where they're at in their particular life, where they are at in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we need to walk in wisdom. But at the end of the day, some things are true. 
And that what is true is that we need to be gracious, that our conversation has to be seasoned with salt. There, there has to be a gospel flavor to those things that we're talking about. And so this is where I wish it was an easy, you know, this is what you do, A, B, and C, boom, we're done. But it's not. It's, it's, it's more of a how do I consciously live in step with the Spirit, um, dependent upon his leading as I interact with other people. In uh, Galatians, we have the fruit of the Spirit, and there we also, there's two that are side by side there, and that's faithfulness and meekness. Faithfulness has to do with keeping God's promises or just being, uh, having a courageous declaration of the truth, but uh, the meekness um, or gentleness, which is there, uh, there's a, needs to be a mildness and a gentleness in dealing with people. It, you know, we're modest, we're humble, we're generous uh, and considerate toward toward others. And these are the things that um, Jesus manifests. When we think about the fruit of the Spirit, these are things he manifests in, in, in spades for us. But we need, to, we need to be careful. And so when we practice these things, we're told like in Galatians 6, 1, uh, when people are caught in a trespass, we're, we're to correct them with gentleness. We're told in 2 Timothy 2, um, you know, we're to warn people before God, yet in the same chapter it says, uh, we must not quarrel, but we must be kind to everyone. And those that oppose us, we must gently instruct um, in hope that God will give them repentance. So the problem is, is, you know, when we think about faithfulness and gentleness, we usually put them on opposite extremes. And so um, people will accuse the, the gentle crowd of not being faithful. They're just not courageous enough to speak the truth or the, or the, the faithful crowd. They just don't lack, a, they lack a temperament of being kind to one another. And I think, I always say err in the direction you're least likely to, to least inclined toward. And so those of a more meek temperament, you know, who are not fighters, but lovers, you know, they, they should be not, they should be careful not to disdain that faithful crowd, uh, since it's possible they might just simply be slipping into a certain cowardice. Or those who are confrontational should be careful not to be uh, disdaining the gentle crowd, since it's possible we're slipping into pride and self-importance. So we have to examine ourselves and we have to, we have to say, look, these two facets of uh, you know, what it means to be filled with the Spirit are both to be operating at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about achieving the this, this speech by a type of moralism or pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. I heard this great analogy the other day. Brothers, how, how do you get a tan? You, I mean, you suppose you could go to like the tanning booth and get in the tanning booth, right? But you get a tan by being in the sun. Your, your skin, you know, those, those skin chemicals in there start to turn brown when you, when you stand in the sun. And our speech becomes seasoned with salt when we stand in the light of Christ. I mean, this is a supernatural fruit mm-hmm. of the Spirit, as you, as you pointed out, Jonathan. I love this. I was just at, uh, in D.C. here a few weeks ago, and Mark Dever was telling a story about how a woman at the church was really angry with some of the decisions that they were making. And she came up to him and she was a very wealthy woman. She gave a lot to the church and she said, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I give to the church? Now, how would you respond? This is what Dever said. He said, oh, honey, what kind of a pastor would I be if I responded to a threat like that? (laughs) 
That is a brilliant response, uh-huh. right? But how did he? How did that response come out of him? Is it because he preconceived it? No, it's because he spent time with God. Yeah. I mean, you only can have your your speech seasoned with salt if you're in in the one if you're in the presence of the salt maker. Mm-hmm. Peter talks about this in First Peter three. He says, "But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy." So it begins with the heart. I mean, and and that is a result of spending time in in communion and union with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then from there, he goes on to say, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yeah. So what, what Peter is saying is, as we spend time in Christ and honor him as Lord in our hearts, yeah. it will show in our lifestyle, will show in our behavior, will show in such a way that those that are unbelievers are going to look at it and say, there's something different about them. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what makes them different? What, yeah. What's the reason for this? Yeah. And then at that point, what do we do? We an- answer them with gentleness and respect. Then there, we have a civil discourse yes. with regard to our faith. There's no way to be with Christ without humility. Uh, to 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 be with Christ, and, and of course we're always, you know, where, where could I go to flee from your spirit? We're always with Christ, but when we're in that, in our prayer time and uh, time in the Word, uh, you know, first thing in the morning, that will, if there's any authenticity in that at all, it it, it will build a humble heart. Um, <clears throat> remember, Paul told the Philippians, "Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus." who humbled himself, took the form of a servant. Um, and to spend time with Christ will inculcate in us a spirit of humility it, because you, you have to have a spirit of humility to be in communion with him. And later on in the book of Philippians, <clears throat> Paul says there's a, there, remember, remember there's two women in, in the church of Philippi who are having an argument, Euodia and Syntyche. And we don't even know what the argument was, but but they're having some kind of a disagreement. And Paul says, I urge... I'm sure it had something to do with decorating the bathroom or the kitchen or something. <laughs> that's, that's snarky. That's, <laughs> that's not civil. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they're having some kind of a disagreement. Anyway, Paul says, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to have the same mind. Yes. And that's often interpreted that he's saying, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to agree. That's not what he's saying. Look at it in the context of the whole letter. He's already said in that letter, have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. So when he says, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind, he's saying, have the mind of Christ. Yeah. Have, approach this with the humility of Christ. There's a, a great... Um letter um john newton had they published a book banner does uh, banner books published a book about his letters and in one of the letters um john newton is writing to this man that's in a disagreement and it's my favorite letter out of the whole book and he says i don't doubt your ability to win the argument what i question is what you're going to say about christ in the midst of the argument Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just have found that to be, I wish I can say that I've lived out the, the truth of that letter that I read 15 years ago, but it has helped me. It has not cured me, mm-hmm. but it's helped when you're in an argument saying, okay, I can win. 
this argument. I don't doubt my ability to logically right. Right. win. But in winning, what am I going to lose? Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's just a golden piece of advice from Newton. Um, I don't remember the details. I think it was the, the letter of contra- controversy or on, on controversy. On tra- yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That was a brilliant letter. I think you can Google it and find it. It's worth your reading. It'll probably take you five minutes to read it. But what a great way to navigate truth, not only in terms of doctrine, but navigate ethics in terms of how we deal with one another. He was a, he was a he was a brilliant. He he wrote great letters. I mean, that's one of his greatest contributions to the church. Not his simply his song "Amazing Grace." That let, letter on controversy. I read to the elders every year. It's mm. just a, a wonderful letter. Yeah, maybe I had the details incorrect. So if you guys, oh, if, hey, you, if well, I got them wrong, you guys can correct it. Yeah. Well, I think we were talking about the same letter. It's the yeah, one where yeah. uh, he's talking to a, a Calvinist about his Arminian friend or something, and and how to navigate through Calvinism and Arminianism, but something like that. Yeah, but it's also really uh, reflecting on how your argument's going to be heard by not simply the man that you're writing to, but also by everybody else that uh, he shares that with. Yeah, and yeah. so there's a, and and reminding that person if you if you reminding yourself if you if you expect to be with that person in yeah. heaven. Yeah, <laughs> I, there was a, a a quote on um, Desiring God here a few weeks ago where where Piper was just reminding his listeners, look, the person that you're disputing with, one of two things is true about them, either they have their sins paid for by Jesus Christ, and therefore you should bear patiently with them and love them, or they do not have their sins paid for by Jesus Christ, and therefore you should pity them and be patient with them and speak truth to them. Which is essentially what John Owen is saying in that letter. Yeah, Newton. Uh, yeah, yeah, John Newton, <laughs> John Owen, all the greats. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We're going to continue this discussion tomorrow about how to navigate in, um, in the midst of the civil discourse that we find ourselves in. We'll see you next time. 